This is Paradoxical, the podcast about the psychology behind big success in small business. I'm your host, Steve McCready, and my guest today is Marcy Brennan of Past Present Picks. Give me the origin story, I guess, for, for Past Present Picks. Like, what were you doing before, and how did that lead to, or what happened there that you ended up going and starting this business? I worked at Corbis for 20 years as an account executive, which is basically a fancy way of saying a salesperson. I was licensing photos to textbook publishers for the bulk of that time. Prior to that, I worked at the Batman Archive, and Corbis bought the Batman Archive. So I had access to something like 17 million photos that most people have never seen, and a lot of photos people have seen, and that really cemented my love of photos. And the point came where we started seeing layoffs and layoffs, and I got laid off as, as did the rest of my team. And so I cast about for something to do. I worked for a champagne producer for a couple of years, which was really fun. I got to go to France a couple of times, which was great and really eye-opening. But when I came back, I was like, I don't think I want to work for anybody else anymore. I think it's time for me to start my own thing. I come from a long line of entrepreneurial salespeople and it wasn't something that was in my plan, really. I, I just sort of thought like, yeah, actually, this seems like a really good idea. And I love photos. And I was casting about as to how to create something around my love of photos. And as luck would have it, a really good friend emailed me a link to a group called Association of Personal Photo Organizers. And they are now rebranded. We call ourselves the photo managers. I joined immediately. And I had my first client within a month. And I have not looked back. It's been six years. and it's just such an honor and a privilege to be working with families and helping them sort out their photo messes. I can imagine you've probably seen, especially when you get into like multiple people in a family and some pretty messy. Tell me more about what made the decision to go out on your own and start and build your own business seem more appealing than finding another job working for someone else. Well, I'll be perfectly honest. And it's two words, gendered ageism. And I am, well, at the time I was in my mid fifties. So I, I just thought, you know, after a year of searching and applying for jobs, I thought this is not going to work. I've aged out according to our society. So I thought, well, the hell with it. I'll show them. And I started my own business. I think it also puts, you know, it kind of, it, it throws a wrench in that, that story people have about the security of working for other, you know, working for someone, which is a thing that I think we're less and less buying into as much as we used to, but really pointed out that at certain times there's actually not security in it, perhaps. Absolutely. And my husband had worked for Vanity Fair magazine as the art production director for about 20 years as well. And he was laid off a couple years after me. So the two of us were freelancing. He was helping me with my business and I was helping him with his business. He's a professional videographer. And one of his clients decided to offer him a job and said, you want to come on board? And he was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I will, actually. Even though he enjoyed being freelance, a two-person freelance household is really hard. And in this country, we have to look at health insurance. We have to look at steady income. So having him doing what he loves full-time and getting paid regularly and getting insurance is, is huge. And so it allows me to sort of relax and 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 be a little bit more playful and experimental with my business. So I can try things that I wouldn't normally have time to do without that sort of financial backing. And I should say that I am 100% self-funded. So I don't have any, I haven't taken on investors or anything. Was that a like a deliberate intentional decision on your part to avoid doing that or to build your business so that it didn't need to? Yes. Yes. I'm allergic to debt. Credit card companies hate me, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and being a business person, you have to be comfortable with cash flow and all that stuff, but I don't, I don't want too many people telling me what to do. Do you feel like that has caused you to have to make sacrifices in how you built or designed or have run your business? Absolutely. But I'm good with it. I'm in the midst of doing a masterclass with several of my colleagues through the photo managers. And that's one thing we're talking about in depth is those of us who want to stay solopreneur, literally me, myself and I. And those of us who want to maybe contract out to other professionals and similar businesses or hire full-time or part-time employees. And I don't plan on going down the employee road because I don't think I would be a very good boss, to be honest. <laughs> and I know that about myself. I think it's important that we all know, right, what we're what we're comfortable with and what we're not, what we like and what we don't, and are willing to to own that. And I think what you're illustrating here is you've got people doing similar types of work, working in a similar field and approaching that in different ways. 
And I think that's so important for us all to understand is there's there's more than one way to build a business that works. And it sounds like the thing I'm hearing is you've really worked to be mindful of what works for you, what are you trying to build or not build, and to, to construct past, present picks accordingly. Yes. And one thing I will say is over the summer, I took on a partner and she's handling the digital photo organizing because I'm sort of a full service operation. So I do print photo organizing, scanning, archiving, digital photo organizing, home movie conversions, and photo books. And it's a lot for one person. And I thought, okay, now that I have a little bit of time and space, you know, since the husband took a full-time job, I'm like, I don't think I like doing the digital photo organizing as much as I like doing the archival and the print photo aspect of it. So I partnered with another photo manager who is awesome. And it's really been great working with her and having her as a backup. And she's excellent. She's better than I am at it. That's the one lesson I'm kind of learning. It's like, oh yeah, you can partner with people who are better at stuff than you are. And it's okay. As a business owner, we tend to be very like, only I can do it. You know, I'm the only person who can do everything right. And it's like, no, that's not true. Let your ego go. But also it frees you up. Like you've said, it's like, I realized I don't like doing the digital stuff as much. Here's someone who can do it better than me. And so it lets you focus your attention and energy on the stuff you like more and more, it sounds like, lines up with your strength. Yes, absolutely. I want to talk some more in a minute about the actual work that you do and the organizing and the process that that you go through in working with your clients. But before I, I want to ask a question, because I'm going to forget otherwise, you were talking about um, the gendered age, ageism mm-hmm. and those two topics, both gender and age. Do you feel like those have been factors in your work in building and running past present fix, past present picks, <laughs> tongue twister business name, but <laughs> has it been a factor either in a positive or a negative way? How, if at all, do you think that's affected or shaped your work? I don't think it's affected it at all. I think most of the people that contact me are women about my age or a little bit younger. And women are typically the memory keepers in a family. And they're usually the ones that are tasked with being the family historian. So they have no problem reaching out to another woman who's like, oh, yeah, look, she knows what she's doing. She's been organizing her memories, her family's memories for years. So I trust her. And and there's a lot of trust that goes into this business. But I think it's been actually an advantage to be older, in this case, to be seen as somebody who actually has been around the block a few times and knows stuff. So I think that my years of experience helps. Who actually lived in a time where we took physical photos? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Which fewer and fewer can remember, right? Yeah, I worked in a dark room, you know. It's really exciting to read about the kids getting back into analog photography and film and learning how to print. And that was something I did in my early 20s. I was a printing technician and I some of the stuff I printed hangs up in the, well, I don't know if it does anymore, but it hung in the, the Boston Fine Arts Museum. It was really wonderful to be able to do that. I took stuff I printed for like professional photographers. I'm old enough that I definitely remember non-digital photography. My first camera was my dad's old Nikon. I've done like actual darkroom stuff and I always enjoyed the process. I hated the chemicals, but the process of doing it was always kind of cool. And there was this fun element of mystery of how is it going to turn out? So much as I appreciate the immediacy and a lack of storage space required for digital, I also miss certain things about analog, I would say. That's a great way of putting it, you know, just the the thrill of discovery and the whole burning and dodging and like watching the, especially with black and white, you know, watching the chemicals do their magic and pulling out your photo and clipping it up and waiting for it to dry. We don't have that experience. And I think that's, it's the immediacy thing. Everybody wants like instant gratification and people don't like to be patient. And being patient is really important in what I do because some of these jobs take months and months and months. Sometimes some of my colleagues have worked on projects for years. So tell me then, let's let's walk through, like, I don't know if there's typical, but in, in general, what is the process of an engagement? I don't know what you call them, an engagement with a client. So a client gets in touch with you, you know, for whatever reason, says they're interested in using your services. So what does the process of working with you look like? And what are the things that you do along the way? Well, every job is different. So it's hard to say, but typically people contact me with situations like yours where they have inherited photos from their parents 
and then they have their own set of photos, and then they're thinking about the future. So, you know, we'll, we'll talk about like how many photos people think they have, and surprise, surprise, everybody underestimates. Printed photos, here's a little trick if you have a stack of printed photos, about an inch equals 100 photos. So that's a good way to measure if you have them out of your albums. And people will often have photos and albums too, they're not necessarily loose. And then they have to, you know, if they have them in those, uh, oh God, those magnetic albums, which I hate from the 80s and the, probably the early 90s, because they are like chemical sandwiches and people keep their photos in them. And then I have to like destroy the album and use all sorts of tricks to get the photos out if I can. So, you know, that's something we have to deal with. Once we figure out what the client's goal is, which is typically to get an organized, edited, called curated library together. We'll take their analog items, we'll scan them. And I use a process called camera scanning, which is using a high-end DSLR. It's a process that Peter Crow of the damn book made famous. So we camera scan so I can do negatives, I can do slides, and I can do print photos. We'll scan them, we'll give like, you know, really good high-res archival quality scans. I'll put them into Lightroom. We'll, we'll do some organizing. And then it depends on how they want them back. Do they want them on Dropbox? Do they want them on an external hard drive? You know, do they want them put up on a cloud server? Do they want them in? Some people prefer, you know, Amazon photos. Some people like Google photos. I'll do whatever the client wants. And then we'll talk about not just like keeping things on a screen and in the cloud, but let's talk about putting the photos back into your life, making photo books, doing slideshows, doing calendars, you know, engaging with your photos, doing a gallery wall. You know, a lot of people, especially moms, feel really guilty about this. Like, oh, I haven't done a yearbook for my kid or like, you know, we need pictures on the walls. We don't, we don't have any. So that's really the fun part. And that's the most rewarding. I think it's just like going from here to here. And then when we've archived everything, it's, it's, we, we take them typically out of the album. So instead of having these huge, like, you know, bookshelves filled with photos and boxes and albums and stuff. It's much more compact. And the archival boxes that I use are smallish, depending on how big the, the collection is, but they're easy to store. They're, they, they're photo safe. The, the photo books that I end up creating are really my pride and joy. And, and the clients really love them because it's a great way for them to look at their photos and engage with them in a way that they probably haven't been able to, especially if they contain vintage photos like photos from their parents or grandparents or great-grandparents. Those are the ones that are really great to scan because we can do all sorts of wonderful things with them, make them come back to life. In, in going through the photos, how much curation do you do about like culling, you know, photos or helping them do that? Or how, how does that process work when you're going through physical photos? What's your, what's your process on that piece of things? Well, the first thing I do is separate out all the duplicates. So those go in a nice little pile. And when I'm looking at a photo, I'm looking at like, is there a story here? And also looking at, you know, the person's face and, and the composition of the photo, the lighting. There's a lot that goes into it. And, and it's also very subjective. My husband and I work with photos for, you know, 20 something years. We've seen a lot of professional photos and a lot of journalistic photos. So I sort of have a, a style in mind when I'm looking at family photos. It doesn't always translate, but I do want to choose the best. I think the most representative of, of a group of photos. But, you know, that being said, sometimes all you have is a blurry photo of yourself standing in front of the Eiffel Tower. And it's like, that's the only one. So we got to keep it. What do you do as far as the process of with, with editing and retouching kind of stuff? A lot of older photos, right? Because just what was kind of normal as far as film, you know, what, what kind of composition they used for film or different types of, of photo prints, you get these colors, that, these photos that have this very dated sort of look to them, right? Do you preserve that? Do you try and modernize it? Is that something you talk with clients about and do on a case-by-case, -case, or how do you navigate that? Yeah, I, I typically leave them alone because I find that there's a certain charm to, to these sort of like discolored photos that I really like. All you have to do is look at Instagram. <laughs> You know, I mean, the filters are like there because people want them to look weird. But I have taken, you know, some like magenta slides and converted them into a black and white image. I'm like, this looks so much better. You know, we use a software program called Negative Lab Pro that does a great job. It's a plugin for Lightroom that does a great job, you know, changing colors to make them sort of look like what they should. If, if you have a discolored image, it works obviously great with negatives, but it also works with positives. I, I do a little bit of it. And obviously with black and whites, we can, you know, punch up the contrast a little bit because things often look a little bit flat when we scan them and we want to bring back some vibrancy to the photos, whether they're black and white or color. What's your take on the 
revival of instant cameras like the Fuji Instax ones and then you know, and those those my daughter has one and she, she and her friends think it's amazing. I'm like, it's basically a Polaroid that's taking tiny little like photos, but okay. But they really enjoy it. So I'm curious about your thoughts about those. I think that they're great. And and anything that gets kids to be a bit more engaged and, and not staring at a, a smartphone and actually like being creative is a good thing. It's great. I love seeing it. What are the other things in the process of working with a client that you might do as far as either giving them suggestions or working with other things they have? Is there is there more in the process that we haven't touched on yet? Oh, sure. Like videos. Videos are a big one. Clients often have either old home movies, which we convert. I work with a partner here in New York City and they do all my conversions for me. So if you have like Super 8 or you know VHS tapes or whatever you have, mini DVs, which I totally forgot about, they, <laughs> they do all of that. And then they give us back these beautiful files and then we can play with those from there. You know, I have a client who's got Oh, probably 10 of those. And it's like starting like 2009 with Easter and going all the way to Christmas. And and it, it's pretty much the whole year. And so I did that and I gave it back to her. She's like, oh my God, there's so much on here. Can we cut these up? Of course we can. You know, we can make little tiny snippets, little home movies. We can weave stories in and out. Just with that, we can create a, a timeline for you. You know, there's so much you can do with, with video. I really like this project. A client did a voiceover with his mom who is near the end of her life. And they didn't have the sound synced up. So he, he went through these videos with her and she she's like, Oh, this is your aunt Jane. And you're, we're at singing beach in, in, you know, Manchester by the sea and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, Oh gosh, I had no idea. I don't remember that. And who is that guy? The mom is giving running commentary on what she's watching and her son had no idea of the players in the movie. So we sync those two up for him and. It was really fun to watch and see and hear because a lot of these old films from the 50s, 60s, 70s, I guess around the 70s, they started having sound, but a voiceover, it was really amazing. I couldn't stop watching it. And I don't even know these people. I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sucked into this. It's, it was fascinating. That's really cool for you. Like I'm thinking about this from the standpoint of being able to help people and serve people in this powerful way of being able to, I don't know, but not create, but really to to pull out these memories. Because I know for me, it's like, again, you have this pile of photos and it's just overwhelming. It's like, I don't even do them. I don't know how to organize them. They're kind of chaotic. Tell me about, about for you, the, the emotional experience, I guess I'll say, of doing this work and serving your clients. Boy, that's a, that's a good question. And I'll be taking a class next month when I go to our annual conference on helping clients through traumatic events through their photos, which I'm really looking forward to. The nice thing about hiring someone like me is that I don't have an emotional attachment to the photos. So as I'm sorting and sifting, and you know, I have a process I use to, to organize print photos quickly without even knowing any history or knowing who the main players are. Although I do get like, you know, a, a cast of characters. Like I want to know who's who in the photos and who, who are the people to watch out for, what their birthdays are, so I can organize it in a pretty cohesive chronological way. But yeah, sometimes there's some stuff, you know, that's that's like a little disturbing. You know, I've I think the thing that I've seen the most is Nazis. Yeah, lots of Nazis. Oh, wow. And I don't mean I mean we have Nazis now, but I'm talking about, you know, Hitler youth and 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 some of my clients are like, this is, you know, I I just want to warn you. You know, this is part of our collection and it's not me, but this is, you know, something I can't shy away from. And I'm like, you know, I think it's important to preserve that, you know, because I sort of wrestled with like, do I want to scan this? And I'm like, wait a minute. I worked at the Bettman Archive. I worked at Corbis Images. I've seen stuff that most people will never see and some stuff I w wish I could unsee. So it's really important not to be judgmental and just to, you know, preserve it because it is history. And to me, the really fascinating thing is where personal history intersects with cultural history. You know, those photos are always the most powerful. I totally see your point about the reflecting of this is this is a reality of history and this is a thing that happened. And if we erase it or wipe it out, it's actually removing the part of history because you're not it's not celebrating it or glorifying it. It's nope. documenting yep. it. Yep, exactly. Uh, which is a different kind of thing. So yep. You know, you'd said that you know, your different engagements with clients are all vary a lot. From a pricing standpoint, how does your what you do get priced for your clients? A lot of my colleagues do, you know, hourly or you know per piece, and I I work on a per piece. So like I have a set set prices for scanning of like negatives, slides, prints, you know, scrapbooks, you know, vintage photos. So those are all varying prices. But mostly, I look at a. a 
a job and I and I'm pretty good at assessing and I can say it's going to be in a ballpark of about x amount of dollars and I will say that what I do is labor intensive I'm pretty highly skilled I have a lot of experience and it's not cheap it is an investment so most jobs you know we're talking three four five thousand maybe more maybe ten thousand dollars it really depends but so I do you know per project pricing considering that that most people if you ask them if you you know have five minutes to grab five things out of your house the family photos are always yeah yeah probably the number one thing on the list besides other family members and the pets that makes sense because yeah you there's there's no way of replicating those right they are they are in a sense really kind of priceless and what you're doing is making these so much more concise and really more powerful right because you're focusing and structuring and and providing this this sort of power to them that I think allows them to be so much more impactful as a memory, as, as a history lesson to future generations and other things. So it's really important for kids to spend time looking at printed photos too, because it helps with their, their cognition, their, their sense of who they are, where they came from, you know, probably read, you know, the news about, you know, how, how despairing teenage girls are. And a lot of it has to do with social media and looking at these images that are completely unattainable and not really knowing their family background. You know, my niece is, is very, very much into dis- discovering who she is. She's got a very interesting ethnic background. She's Lebanese, Native American, Irish, and Chinese. And she's very much at that, she's 13, so she's embracing it and, you know, trying on different I- parts of her identity to try to figure out who she is and who she wants to become. And print photos are a big part of that for her. You know, I've, I'm making her a photo book of her first 13 years, you know, so she can see where she came from and, and my photos of her and my husband's photos of her, aside from the ones that she always sees with her family. And I'm like, and the next book we can do, we can incorporate your photos of yourself, you and your friends, you know, and she's pretty excited about that. With such a broad and diverse history, being able to draw on, on the visual history and going in through photos and stuff, it would sure would be very, very interesting for her, especially. And that's really cool. How long for, uh, for, again, if there's an average, like how long does the process from start to finish generally take for you in working with a client or what's the range, I guess, since it obviously can vary quite a bit in scope? Well, you know, I've had clients that just have like, I want 500 photos scanned, you know, that's something I can bang out in an afternoon, but typically they're, they're several months and it can involve, you know, a lot of back and forth. Cause once we, we finished the organizing stage and we're, we've moved on to like, all right, let's do the fun stuff now, like a photo book or a slideshow mm-hmm. or whatever. That takes them back and forth too, because clients have to approve, you know, I give them, you know, a couple rounds of approval. So, well, let's move this photo over here, but sometimes they're busy and it takes them a couple of weeks to get back to me. And I understand people are busy, especially here in New York. But the one thing that's really important that I would like anybody listening who who is a fan of taking photos is to practice culling your own photos and think about your photo legacy and what you're going to be handing down. I have had one client who was an amateur photographer and she's very happy that she's taken all these photos of her son, about 80,000 photos of him. And I'm like, he's about eight years old. I can guarantee you that he's not going to want 80,000 photos of himself. So I want people to start thinking about handing down a legacy collection. Like you can keep doing whatever you're doing, but what you're going to pass down should be like 5,000 photos max, maximum, like maybe one photo a year, one photo a month. Like you really have to narrow it down. And with digital, that's the problem. It's way, 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 way out of control. Do you have any kind of frameworks that you use or suggest to people in how to you know, to navigate that, like kid's birthday party, you're going to come away from there with 500 photos, right? So is it like, like pick one from each birthday, pick five, pick some other number, or how do you, how do you suggest people go about that? Well, I think it's easiest if you start from right now and work your way back. We have a method where when it comes time to t- pay the mortgage and all those, those bills once a month, it's like, okay, write out these checks and, or pay online, whatever you do, and then grab your phone and start deleting photos, you know, for the previous month. And just look at things with a really critical eye and be like, am I going to come back and look at this photo? Do I need this photo? Like I use the two second rule. Like, do I love this or do I not need this? One, two, delete. That's what works for me. I know it's probably harder for a lot of people because they get very attached to their photos or they're like, I might need this again. But it's like, you know, I look at camera rolls and there's pictures of like 
people in the parking lot, you know, like your, or your, you know, papers that you don't need, or, you know, a screenshot of a book or like a pair of shoes you want to buy. It's like, just get rid of that stuff. Or you can put it into a separate album, you know, but, but there's a lot that can be deleted. For those of you who are paying attention and know about habits, you may have noticed Marcy doing a little habit stacking there mm-hmm. with what she was talking about with culling photos. Yep. So she's not, she, she knows it too. Yep. But I want to highlight that because it's it's actually a great, great trick of sorts that you can use that is really powerful. It's like when you would take a task that you need or want to do but aren't doing and you can find a way to connect or associate it with another one that you are, that's what we call habit stacking. And it can be a really effective way to build in something that you've been meaning to tackle. I do that a lot with going through some of my email or other things. I haven't thought about doing it with my photos, but now I'm going to be looking for a place where I can stack my photo calling in <laughs> to, other, to other things. So it is a really, really great and useful tip to connect it to something that you're already doing because it's just an easy thing to do. And if you do it in small chunks, like go through your photos for the last month plus maybe one other month, you'll get through a backlog before you know it. Yep, absolutely. And that's obviously only true for the digital photos. For the print photos, that's a whole nother can of worms. Besides what we've talked about, is anything else that you wish people knew about photos and saving or not saving photos that most people don't know? You know, sharing photos, I, I really like photo sharing sites like SmugMug, I think is a great one for family photos, because oftentimes you may be in possession of photos that, you, that you've inherited that you don't know what the story is. And before you decide, well, maybe I'm going to give this to the thrift store or whatever, I'm not going to keep this, you know, share it with people, you know, who may know relatives, friends, other family members that aren't, you know, sisters, brothers, whatever, because it could be really valuable to them. And they could be like, oh my God, you have that photo? I didn't like, that's my mom on her, you know, 47th birthday. I, I never saw that photo. So I think that's important before discarding photos. That's probably it. And there's a lot of ways of getting rid of photos you don't want. I have a, actually a, a one sheet with 10 different places you can look and, and resources for that. But I typically don't like to get rid of print photos. I, I have a little bit of separation anxiety with print photos. I love them so much. I really do. There's just something about, you know, and I don't have a lot. Personally, I have about 5,000 photos in my collection. That's including print and digital. So like I have been able to work through getting rid of some of them, but like I, I am only keeping the ones that are super valuable, but I, I here I am, you know, telling people what to do, but I have a bunch of photos I don't know anything about. When I send them to my mom who lives in England, she's like, I don't know who those people are, but it looks like it's in Italy, maybe. Like, well, that's good enough for me. I just want to hold on to it. Even if I don't know what's going on in that photo, I'm like, somebody in the family took this when they were in Italy. It has meaning somehow. And I'm sure if I went to Italy, I would feel like, I don't know, maybe I'd wander in that street and, and find that building. There was a piece in the New York Times about that, actually, where a photographer cracked down. Yeah, it was fascinating. He, he had some old photos from his family. It's like some, I don't know, let's say it was in Florence. Like, oh, this was a family home in Florence. He's like, really? I'm going to find it because it was like taken in 1880. You know, it's like, I'm sure it's very different. And they didn't know where. And they tracked it down. It was amazing. That is amazing. I mean, nowadays with location data embedded in photos, it's not so hard. <laughs> but but uh, when it comes to some, you know, 50, 7,500 year old print photo, yeah, that's a, that's talk about like needle in a haystack sort of stuff. Yeah. I, I wish I could remember the exact, the exact place in Italy, but it was really an interesting read and, and the photography was great. So let's, let's go switch back to the, the business end of things. How and where do you get most of your clients from? Honestly, I'm not sure anymore because I, when I first started, I did a lot of networking, but I'm also part of the photo managers. We have a website where certified members are listed. So I think more and more people are getting hip to the fact that there's a, there's an organization called the photo managers and they can go and search for an expert in their area. But I think Google, you know, people are, I've been doing this. I have a newsletter and I have a blog and, you know, posting good content helps with SEO and then people can discover you that way. And, you know, referrals too from happy clients. So it's, but I don't do a lot of advertising or social media, really. That's not my thing. So it sounds like it's a, it's a mix of things and I can totally see how what you do, the referral aspect could be really powerful because people get such a clear kind of end product from from working with you that really shows you know the benefit and value of it yeah yeah that's that's true with with if they opt to do a printed piece you know at the end of the at the end of the 
the job. But if they if they decide they just want digital photo organizing, it's a little more ephemeral. You know, it's hard to to be like, oh yeah, you know, here's all my photos. Like, you know. So that's one of the reasons why I, I decided to punt the digital photo organizing to my partner. And, you know, and she puts things on, you know, she will put things on like a website or an external hard drive, which is another point that I want to make sure that people know they should always have their photos backed up into three places. So we do the three, two, one method, which, and, and this is what, you know, the Smithsonian recommends. This is just, this is common sense, you know, two external hard drives and one cloud source. It's very hard for people to do this because, you know, life, you know, and having your external hard drive, meaning like it's an NVMe drive, it's very quick. So transferring files is, is lightning fast and you can update, you know, you can do a mirrored backup, whatever, whatever you do, backing up your photos regularly and having them on two external hard drives is a really good idea. And it's a good practice. I think a lot of people have gotten, I don't want to say lazy, just a little complacent, maybe as it relates to backup stuff in this era of everything being backed up to the cloud, which is wonderful when it's there and it's wonderful when it works. Like it makes upgrading equipment so much easier, but your point about an external, I'm, I'm looking at my external hard drive that's sitting like below my teleprompter as, as we're saying this for exactly the same reason and know the, you know, the importance of that. Cause I'm like, sure, I've got my iCloud backup, but I've also got another thing that's backing up everything to that drive as well. I think that's such, such a good point because again, these are things that they can't be replaced. Right. And, and what's terrifying is that if you lose your photos, like, you know, your insurance company isn't going to give you anything for them. They're not worth the paper they're printed on or the hard drive they're stored on. So if you lose them, you lose them. So having a backup is, is important. It's like they're priceless to you and worthless to others. Such a unique sort of thing, huh? Yeah, it's terrible, actually, but that's the way it is. So to you, how would you define success for yourself and your business? happy clients and i'd like to, i like to be busy and feel productive but not like crazy productive so i work about 30 hours a week which is about as much as i want to work and the time spent is you know deep work i can't get distracted you know i, I have my blinders on and i'm focused and i'm working but yeah you know and obviously like attaining a certain amount of money a year is great but it's obviously less of a of a concern now that my husband has a full-time job but i think it's really happy clients, you know, and, and, and getting that, you know, testimonial back from someone unprompted and being like, can we joke about this? My colleagues and I, like, we know we've done a good job if we make people cry. Tears of joy, of course. <laughs> sure. But it makes sense because it means you've touched them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like having people be really excited or thrilled or moved, deeply moved by, by what they're looking at. So how do you, what are your tricks for being able to get to that deep focused work state? Well, I love to listen to music when I work. I mean, I love, I have music on like all the time. I go to sleep to it. You know, my, my radio is not great. I actually listen to the radio. I don't listen to Spotify or Pandora. So that's my only distraction because I have to listen to the radio through my phone. So the phone has to come into the room with me, but it's for radio purposes only. So WFMU.org is what I'm listening to. Put that on and I get to work. I don't respond to texts or prompts or like, I'll, I'll be like, I'm working for three hours straight. And it's about three to four hours is about the amount of time I can spend to focus because working on photos is really, can be really tiring. Even though I don't know the people in the photos, it can still be, it's, it's, it can be draining. So just music, no distractions, go into my office and I work. And that's, you know, I'm, I'm, I can't, I can't give anybody like a secret tip because I'm just a really disciplined person. And I think that's just the way I was born. So like I can just focus on stuff. For you longer term, what do you see or want for past present picks as you go forward? I do want to get more clients and grow my business and serve more people, you know, because I think everybody needs a photo organizer. We just don't know it now. But if you have the means and the willingness to trust someone with your personal visual history and you feel like what you have is a mess and you're and it's freaking you out and can't deal with it and stressing you out because this is the thing I hear all the time, hire a professional photo organizer, someone who's certified like myself to do the work for you. You won't regret it. Like nobody has come back to me and said, God, that was $5,000 I wasted. 
never going to happen. This is your history and you're not going to preserve it properly. Like it's, it's a fact. Most people are not going to do the work. Listen, it's like this. Like I can go get a manicure by a pro where I can DIY it. And the DIY, no bueno. You know, I, I, <laughs> I'm going to trust the pros to do what they do. I like to hire pros to do what they do. And I'm a pro and I come to people, you know, with an open heart and an open mind. And I want to work on their photos and I want to put them in a better place. It's really a question of value, which is, of course, inherently subjective. But mm-hmm. but for all of us, history, our own family and personal histories are valuable. It's it's you know connects to experiences. It helps us remember those experiences and those feelings. And so it's that is such a a powerful and valuable thing. And it's not again, it's not a thing that can be replaced or replicated, right? If if somebody steals my bike or something happens to my bike, I can get a new bike that are making them. You know, if I lose the photos or don't do a good job of managing the photos of my, my daughter's 13th birthday, then, then too bad. Yeah. Yeah. She'll, that's she bad. won't have that. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's harsh. And I, I don't want people to have to like miss out on important milestones in their lives because they were careless with their photos or somebody was careless with their photos. You know, storage is another, another, good topic we can explore that briefly because i do want to say that do not (laughs) you know this as a photographer like don't store your photos your print photos in the basement in the garage in the attic like photos like to live where we like to live so if you do nothing else don't keep them in those areas i love that photos like to live where we like to live that's such a simple you know, a useful guideline, so much better than like photos should be stored between 65 and 74 degrees <laughs> in a dry, like, everyone's like, what? Like, yeah, your photos should live where you do. I get perfect. Yeah. yeah I, I keep my client's photos in my office and it's on the second floor away from heat. So what's an ideal client to you? Oh, who is engaged with their photos. A lot of clients are sort of like happy to drop their stuff off and then happy to pick it up, you know, and there's very little interaction, you know, and that's fine. That's fine. But I like dealing with people who are engaged in their photos too. And who, who are, you know, I could find a photo of like, oh my gosh, here's my client at age six. Maybe she hasn't seen this photo in a really long time. And I, you know, send it to her. And she's like, oh my God, this is amazing. Thank you. I totally forgot I had that photo. Or, you know, you brought back my parents to me, you know, through this, through getting these, these videos digitized. Like I haven't seen this in 40 years, you know, so that's, an ideal client, you know, somebody who is engaged, but I understand a lot of people are just like, I gotta, I can't I just dropping this off. She's going to fix it for me and she's going to give it back and I'm going to move on. And the stories, the stories are really important too, you know, because when, when I'm engaged with a client, I get to hear the stories behind the photos. And there's a lot of questions I have as I'm going through them. You know, I, I have a client who's, who spent time in South Africa and we're doing a photo book and I have, I'm like, we sat down. I'm like, I, you have to tell me what's going on in every single one of these photos. Like, I want to know they're fascinating. So, and she's more than happy to share her stories with me. So it's, it's really about preserving, not just the photos, but the stories behind the photos. And those are the ideal clients who are engaged in that. So one of the things that I like to do with my guests is turn things around a little bit and explore something that is challenging for them, something that they're wrestling or struggling with a little bit and put on my coach hat for a few minutes. So if you're up for playing along, um, I see you thinking, I love it. I see the gears mm-hmm. turning. Think of something that is a current challenge or struggle that you've got and let's unpack it a bit and see if we can help you figure out what to do with it. Okay. Well, my email list is a little anemic. And I, I've been told that my that my newsletters are really good and insightful and helpful, but I'd like to get them out to more people. So what are the best ways to grow organically in a newsletter email list? What do people value or appreciate about who are on your list now? What are the things that that they find most beneficial or valuable in it? I don't get a lot of, you know, interaction with, with people who are reading it, I'll just get, you know, Hey, I really like this. So I don't get a lot of information from people who are reading it. So it's hard to say, but I think that they like the tips, you know, the photo tips, you know, I explore a different topic, like, Oh, here's a close look at scanning, or here's, you know, we're, I'm talking about external hard drives that might be the the easiest or best or cheapest to use, or, you know, just, you know, how to make a photo book. Sometimes I do a client, but if a client gives me permission, I'll do a a spotlight on their collection and how we went from A to B to Z, but I'm not really sure. So I don't get a lot of feedback. So it sounds like you haven't surveyed your list to find out what they enjoy most about your emails. 
I have not. I should probably do that. I'm going to write it down. <laughs> it might be it might be useful. I mean, you could totally do that. And you, I mean, obviously, you could do it either just asking them, you know, really straightforward as, hey, if you would take a minute to hit reply and let me know what you find most valuable or useful about these, that'd be great. But because it's always good to know where the actual value is for one, for the people who are subscribing, where like for you online, do you have a social media presence? If so, where, what are the places that, you know, that people would encounter or run into you online? Mostly I spend my time on LinkedIn because I think that's really where my ideal client is hanging out. Instagram and Facebook, not so much. Although I use a program called Missing Letter, which takes snippets from a blog post and creates social media content and will auto post those things. I don't see a lot of ROI on Facebook or, or Instagram. But LinkedIn is really interesting. It's where professionals hang out. And I did start publishing my newsletter on LinkedIn, but then I sort of got distracted and don't do it so much. Got distracted. Like, not like I don't really want to do it. You know, that's, I'm not distracted. I just don't really want to do it. Why not? I don't know. I don't, I'm just like, like I should be working. You know, I should be doing client work. I shouldn't be doing this social media stuff. Ah, why shouldn't you be doing the social media stuff? Yeah. Well, I should, because it's a way of networking and getting the word out and, and, and it helps with SEO. I know that LinkedIn is actually a, a search engine, not necessarily a, a social media site, but it's just, I have this sort of like, I'm wasting my time doing LinkedIn when I could be like sorting through those slides. Difficult when you're a solopreneur to do, to separate the working in your job and on your job, in your business, on your business. And my tendency is to just do the work, not do the self-promotion part. It's not, it's, I feel like it's self-promoting. I know it's, it's not really, it's just a way of letting people know like, Hey, I exist and I can help you. You know, I don't talk about me. I talk about my audience and what I want to do for them and how I can help them. Still feels a little icky. What do you think that is that it feels icky for you? I don't know. I think women are conditioned to not be self-promoting and really be looking at other people and not talking about themselves, or even if it's, I can help mm -hmm. you with this. Because it's, as you kind of highlighted, it's not talking about you per se. It's talking, it's, it's providing opportunities for them to be served in a sense, right? I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Because there's a, there's a huge difference between, you know, someone's like, Hey, buy my thing versus you being able to provide information or ideas or resources that are relevant to people. Doing these sorts of things, we can call them marketing, self-promotion, whatever label you want to put on them, they can be slimy, they cannot be slimy. But I think the thing I'm hearing for you is you're in your head, there's a little bit of a seeing it as, as self-promoting or pushy or slimy and not really coming from the place of thinking about it as being of service and serving. Yes. Ironic, considering that I was a salesperson for 20 years and I had no problem promoting my company's products, goods, and services. But I think when it's yourself, it gets a little tricky because I am the product really. And that's hard. Yes, you are. And I would maybe challenge you a little bit to say, is, is that entirely true? No, you're right. You're right. It's, it's, it's about the service. It's not about me. It's about the service. Yeah, because I wonder if you you know were to to try and think about coming from a place again that's more of of service and more thinking about what I can do that is in that content serving people number one, but then number two providing them an opportunity to engage with you on a slightly deeper level, and that's where the right the mailing list piece comes in. Is do you I assume you have like a mailing list sign up on your website? Yes. Okay. Do you have any kind of like a lead magnet or anything set up yes. with that? Yes. Okay. What is it? Three, three quick tips to organize your photos. I, and I think that obviously relates to what you do and could be a good thing as a, as a starting point. I would be really interested though, to hear what, like what I'd be inclined to do is like, see what your subscribers say as far as what they find valuable about your newsletter, because that might actually point to whether or not keeping that lead magnet or a different one might be useful. But again, then looking at when you're posting on LinkedIn or elsewhere, is making sure that you're at least periodically throwing in that thing of here is another, you know, here's a resource that's available to you if you would like. If you like it, my you know, my my three free tips, you know, or my my power tips for organizing your photo library or whatever it is, mm -hmm. it's, you know, go here and just put a link and then they can can sign up that way. That's certainly a way you can do it. And it's really remember you're giving people the opportunity to engage with you more deeply if they want to. 
and doing it through a place that's not, it's not manipulative. It's not anything you're trying to serve them. Yes, absolutely. I have a question. So a lot of coaches say, you know, well, you know, publish a book, teach a course, but what if you're not a writer or a teacher? Then don't publish a book or, te- or, <laughs> or teach a course. I think, I mean, if, if you're really, if you're really not, and I, I don't think you, I don't think you need to be. I think what I would say though, is I would encourage you to think about how do you best engage or connect with people? Like what are the the mediums or the vehicles or the processes through which you do that? Number one. And then number two, what are the ways you can best help people to see or understand what it is that you do? And I think when you start to work on Venn diagramming those two things, then you start to come up with some ideas for what makes sense. Because sure, I mean, you could write a book and that's fine. But like, if you hate writing a book, why, why make yourself miserable? Because it's hardly the only way to do it. And I think also knowing who are the people that you typically serve and most enjoy serving. We know that they're interactive. We know, you know, they're people who are in a position where they are willing to spend larger sums of money on this sort of thing that value memories. We know you're saying, you know, typically LinkedIn seems to be a place. So there's certain demographics there, but the more you understand that, mm-hmm. then the more you can also start to figure out how can I connect, can I connect with and engage with these people? Is it a thing where, you know, there might be some speaking or some other things or not? I mean, you don't have to do any of those things. That's right, the great right. thing about it, right? But it's really about trying to figure out, I think for everyone, how do you best engage and present yourself in the world? And, you know, and what are you most willing to do? Right. It's like, have you heard, have you ever heard the, the, this kind of a, or the saying about the best form of exercise? No, what is it? The best form of exercise is the one you'll do. Of course. Same thing. So, so from the standpoint of, of marketing yourself and putting yourself out there, it's what's the one you'll do, I think is, is always a really important one. Obviously, if it highlights your strengths and skills, that's, that's valuable too. But I think that's a thing versus getting caught up in what you should do or what everyone else is doing or any of, you know, what will make you show up so people can see Marcy, the person who deeply cares about creating and crafting these memories for people who really understands photos and all the do's and don'ts there, who really is going to nerd out about these photos, to use my my phrase, and really get into it and want to understand the story behind them and to use that to really build a curated collection and do all that, right? How do you allow that to be seen best and present that? Sure, some people are going to be like, this is way more photo nerd stuff than I care about. But other people are going to be like, oh, perfect. Because you're going to find people like someone like myself, for example, who is like, okay, clearly she gets it and she's into photos and the technology piece of it. To me, that gives you more credibility. Yeah, you you, you hit on a good point. And I need to get in front of people who can go to where those people are, you know, the, you know, go to where my ideal clients are hanging out and talk to them. You know, so that could be you know, working with estate planners. Actually, that's a really interesting point you just brought up because one of the, the things right in marketing we sometimes talk about is who sees your people before you see your people. Ooh, I haven't heard that. I like that. You think about this, you know, someone who's an estate planner or even even people who are funeral directors or, or people like that because you end up with a situation like I was telling you about. I have two sets of legacy photos, both of which came to be mine after my parents died. And there's any number of circumstances under which that can happen. But that's the point is, you know, who are the people who are connecting with these people in different ways? So there's, there's a lot of different ways that you can do this. I think where we get in our own way is we start paying attention to what everyone else is doing instead of really thinking about how, how can we do it in a way that honors ourselves, what matters to us, who we are and, and, and also give ourselves permission to do some experimentation because sometimes you try stuff, you're like, I'm going to try this and you'll find like, oh, this is really great. Or you're going to find this is really awful. I don't really want to do the digital photo organization. So I'm going to hand that off. I want to stick with the physical ones. Right. And some people would be the exact opposite. And I think that's a place where people really get in their own way as they, they expect like they should somehow be able to figure it out in their heads and then do it perfectly. And it's like, no, that's not how it works. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's hard when you're a one person show too, like knowing 
I just decided this week that I'm going to keep track of how much in the business and how much on the business I'm doing so I can see what I'm spending admin time on and what I'm actually doing the work on. What if it's like, you know, I'm only actually working 10 hours on client jobs, but I'm working 20 hours on emails and Dubsado trying to figure out my CRM and, you know, admin stuff. And should some of that stuff be farmed out to somebody else? Farmed out trimmed down outright eliminated and be surprised sometimes at what we can what we can eliminate doing that would create some more space for you to be doing some of these other more marketing oriented act- activities the metaphor i use this this i normally use this in the context of of energy and recovery and and self-care but i think it might apply here too is if we go on a road trip we can't just drive constantly to get to our destination. We have to occasionally stop, put fuel in the car, grab some snacks, go to the bathroom, whatever, right? We have to do that. And if you try and ignore those stops, eventually you just run out of fuel by the side of the road and it's a problem. Now, in a marketing standpoint, if you're always serving your clients, yes, up to a point that may generate referral business for you. And you may get to a point where that is more, more than enough, but until or unless you are, you don't necessarily have other fuel sources. And if you don't dedicate some time to refueling, there's going to be a problem at some point down the road. And so it's, you, you were talking about like this idea they could see there's this sense in which it feels like almost like wasted time to you. And it's, it's more that it's, it's investing, right? You're investing in the future, basically the future of your business. Mm-hmm. The key is to make sure like with anything, like what you're talking about with your admin time, Make sure it is an investment that you're comfortable making and sure, pay attention to how it pays off. Yeah. Yeah. What's the ROI and everything? What's always right. Yeah. That question of ROI (laughs) is always a good one is a good one to think about. And as well as I at least think the, the element of the enjoyability of the activity or however you want to want to put it. Cause I know, and I've seen people do this. I've made this mistake where you get caught up in like, well, this thing has the best ROI. Yeah, but it it's like makes me miserable. So why would I do that? Right. It's like that's not that's not very useful or good. Does that give you some ideas about what you might do on the on the mailing list? Yes, yes. That yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the most obvious thing I had didn't even like really think about. Amazing. <laughs> Marcy's shaking her head oh, and she's God. like, How can I not think of that? That's because you're a human. That's that's the thing though, right? Is it's all of us have a hard time. What did I, I see? I saw this the other day. You can't read the label on a bottle of wine from the inside of it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's really cool. I've, I've never heard that <laughs> phrase before, but I'm like, yeah, but that's, we, so we need someone standing outside cause they can see the stuff that we can't, mm-hmm. you know? And that's, that's, that's the same thing that you can probably bring a perspective to your client's photos and that they, they don't necessarily see or understand both because of your experience, but also because you're outside of it. You're not tied into the memory and the history. Yeah. So yeah. that outside perspective can be valuable and important for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So Marcy, for people who want to learn more about you, your work, where's the best place for them to find you and connect with you? I think my website is the best place and it's www.pastpresentpix. That's P-I-X.com. So you can join Marcy's mailing list and help her grow it. Get yourself some good some good photo tips and and learn more about photo organizations. So Marcy, thank you for taking the time to come talk to me today and for the the chance to geek out a little bit about photos and and family history stuff and and business. It's a, a lot of a lot of cool stuff here. So a lot of fun for me. I appreciate the the time and the conversation. Oh, thank you, Steve. You've been immensely helpful. 